of God. You see, does the way that you love cost you anything? Do you love God to the point that it costs you something? Do you love others to the point to which it costs you something? I mean, there's people in this fellowship that give up their vacation every year to go on mission trips. That costs something. Right? There's people who give up their time once a month on Saturdays to go up to the children's village in Wiggins. That costs something. Right? There's so many. There's, I can't name all the things that are done. It costs to serve in the children's ministry. It costs to serve in the nursery. It costs to support different ministries. It costs something. Right? There's, th- there's untold things that will never be known. I was driving the other day, and, and one of our deacons was out at uh, one of our uh, widow's home in her yard, working in her yard. No one will ever know that because it costs something. Real love costs. Does the way that you love cost you anything? Do you give of your time? How about this in the Baptist church? Do you give up your preference? Do you ever do what you don't want to do? You see, everything in our world is broken if we only love with brotherly love. There is no restoration without agape love. Because agape love costs. You know, one of the verses that God's often used in my life is 2 Samuel 24, 24. It says, I won't offer a sacrifice to God if it doesn't cost me something. And God's used that verse in my life a lot. You see, agape love cost. You see, for all of the disciples, it cost their life. Every single disciple died for their faith. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. For most of us, it's unlikely that you will have to sacrifice your life for your faith. But for most people, there is no sacrifice at all for their faith. Which means there's no sacrifice in their relationships. You see, the entry barrier to faith never changed. Have you ever thought about that? You know, everything in our culture changes, right? Today you can do this, and tomorrow it'll change, and then you can do something else. And there's always something new, that, right? There's always these new things. And it used to be these requirements that, you know, there were standards. And, you know, now today the standard is whatever you want it to be, and then that's the new standard, right? The entry barrier to faith, have you noticed how that has changed, quote, right? It's changed. It hasn't really changed, but culture's changed it. Right? People think that, well, they can create their own version and they can identify their own belief system. And if they don't like what you, you know, what scripture says, they'll just change it. Or they just won't believe it or they'll ignore it or they'll condemn it. As though that changes it. And so the entry barrier in a lot of people's minds to faith has changed. But newsflash, the entry barrier to faith has never changed. People have simply changed their perception of the entry barrier. Right? Jesus says, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. How many people do you know that are doing that? Denying themselves, take up their cross, following Jesus. 
the entry level, the entry barrier has changed. In a lot of people's mind, that we believe that we can do whatever we want to do, and we can act ever how we want to act, and that God's going to love us unconditionally, because that's just what God is, that God is love. And I can do anything that I want, and it's not going to cost me anything to follow Jesus. I'm not going to stand up for my faith. Why would I do that? I'm forever saved. I don't have to do anything. I'm saved forever, right? That's what the world says that salvation is. But we know as believers that, you know, Paul talks about in Romans 6, that we don't take advantage of God's grace, that we don't sin so that grace would abound. No, that's not what the Bible teaches, that we would obey because we love the Father. We don't love the Father uh, because we get something from it. We love the Father because He's first loved us, right? Isn't that what First John teaches? And so for us, we think about this entry barrier that there's no cost to doing it. You see, in the New Testament, faith calls family, friends, jobs, and your life for a lot of people. In today's world, most people believe that lip service is sufficient. Think about the rich young ruler. What did he say? Good master, good teacher. You know, he's, hey, Jesus, I think you're awesome, man. And I'm, I'm pretty wealthy, and I, I idolize my wealth. And I was thinking it'd be really good if you were part of my portfolio. And Jesus says, hey, if you want me to be a part of your portfolio, I am your portfolio. Right? And what does the Bible say? He walked away empty-handed. You see, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. You see, when the love of Christ controls us, guess what happens? We sacrifice. We give of ourselves. It costs us something. You see, what caught you is what keeps you. What caught you is what keeps you. If, you. if you came to church for a handout, then you're going to stay as long as you get a handout. But when you're not getting what you want, you're not going to stay. Right? That's how it works. Think about it. The restaurants that give you free food, do you keep going back? Of course. But when they stop doing that, do you keep going back? No. Right? And so what caught you is what keeps you. If you follow Jesus because he rescued you, because he redeemed you, because he saved you, because he did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself, guess what? You're going to stay. But if you came to Jesus based on what you can get and how it's going to make your life better and you fill in the blank of what culture says, you're not going to stay. You're not. What caught you is what's going to keep you. You see, if your concept of someone loving you is you always getting your way, well, then you're wrong. That's not what love is. You don't always get your way. If your concept of loving someone is based on how they receive it, you're wrong. That's not what love is. Loving people is hard. It's very hard. It's sacrificially hard. And it is only possible through Christ. Here's what this truth tells us. That the only way that we can sacrificially love God is by the supernatural infusion of His Spirit. The only way I can sacrificially love God is that if the Spirit of God empowers me to do that. 
Because my flesh will fight me every step of the way to not do that. That I'm going to pursue comfort and pleasure and self-gain every opportunity that I get. The only way I can sacrificially love God is if I surrender to the Spirit of God. That's the only way I can do it. The only way that we can sacrificially love our neighbor as ourselves is by the supernatural infusion of the Spirit. Listen, it's not normal for you to love someone who is your enemy. You have to have the Spirit of God for that. It's not normal for you to love people who are hard to love. You have to have the supernatural infusion of the Spirit of God for that. Now, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're incapable of doing that. You can't love someone as yourself if you haven't been loved like that. Remember, our capacity is limited to our experience. So you've got to have the Spirit of God inside of you, and you've got to be following the Spirit of God inside of you in order for you to love God sacrificially and to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you ask yourself the question, am I sacrificing in my love, or am I loving my neighbor as myself? And the answers to those questions, any of those, are no. Number one, you're not saved. Or number two, you're not submitting to the Spirit of God in your life. That's how we love the way that God intends for us to love. So love requires sacrifice. Number two, love involves care. Not only does it require sacrifice, but it involves care. As I talked about earlier, the intention was that we would live in perfect harmony with God in love, right? In the garden, the Bible says they walk, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, the awesome, most awesome verse, one of the most awesome verses in the Bible, right? Think about this perfect harmony that existed in the garden, and then sin came, okay? And then in sin, we know what happened. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, and then uh, Adam and Eve had kids, all right? And so Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, and guess what happened? They didn't get along, And so in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, of course, God knows where Abel is. Right? Of course. But he's asking Cain, where is your brother? In other words, what Cain responds is, Am I responsible for his care? Am I responsible for loving him enough to know where he's at? Imagine a world, if you will, where we're responsible for each other's care. Imagine that world. That's called the millennium, by the way. It's going to be awesome. That we care, that, that I love you so much that I want to make sure that you're taken care of. Right? That love involves care. And Cain says, hey, I'm, I'm not responsible for his care. Why are you asking me where he's at? Am I responsible enough to love him to know where he's at? And you know what the answer is? Yes! Yes, you are. I'm asking you because you should know. I'm asking you because you should care. That's why I'm asking you. You are your brother's keeper. You see, in three different ways, Jesus commanded Peter in how he should relate 
to those around him. Jesus told Peter, you should feed the lambs, you should tend the sheep, and you should feed the sheep. Feed the lambs, tend the sheep, feed the sheep. Remember, Peter gets all tangled up, and I'm not sure if I sacrificially love you, God, but I brotherly love you. And then he's grieved because God says, do you brotherly love me? Or Jesus does. And so then he says, okay, well, here's what you do. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. What, God is, what Jesus is telling Peter is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take care of them. You see, people are God's creation. So guess what? We don't get to choose how we treat them. We don't get to choose how we treat them. People are God's creation. Imagine again a world in which that was true. It would be so amazing to go to Walmart, wouldn't it? Or to drive down 49. It would be incredible. Because people would what? They would love each other as their brother's keeper. You see, here's the way that we see it. You know, there's a bunch of neighborhood kids that live in our neighborhood. And if the neighborhood kids come over and the neighborhood kids act up, you know what I have to do? Y'all should probably go home, right? I don't have to get on to those kids. They're not my kids. And so they can do whatever they want to do. Right? That's the joke with grandparents is that I can bring the grandkids over and hype them up on sugar and send them home. Right? They can do whatever they want to do. It's not my responsibility. And that's the world that we live in, right? Is that we would say, well, they're acting up, but they're not my kids. And we would just dismiss it to say, hey, look, they can just go off and do their own thing. Not my business. I'm not going to discipline them. But you know what I've learned in community? Here's what I've learned in community. That the people that are in community with me love my kids like they're their own. And you know what I've been taught and that I've learned in community about other people's kids? That when I'm in community with them, I love their kids as my own. When you're in godly community, that's what happens. That you love their kids like they're your kids. And they love your kids like they're, your kids are their kids. And so instead of saying, hey, you just go on and do your own thing. No, we're all in this together, buddy. I care for you. I care for you. And so I want to love you the way that God loves me. You see, when Jesus said to feed uh, or to tend, what he's doing is he is commanding Peter to nourish those around him. He's telling him to love those people that are around him. In community, love those people that are around you. Love their kids, love their family, love their dysfunction. To love them, to care for them. That's why there's differing levels of maturity. And that the spiritually mature should teach those that are spiritually immature. You know, kids act like kids. Do you know why kids act like kids? Because they're kids. And do you know why spiritually immature people act like spiritually immature people? Because they're immature, right? And that's how that works. And we, we were that way, right? Maybe you're that way now, that you, you just came to know Christ. Or maybe you've not grown, you've not experienced the love of Christ. And so you haven't matured in that area, that you haven't loved the people the way that God has loved you. Because you've never matured in that way. 
You see, God is commanding Peter to nourish, to love those around him. In other words, here's the question that we would ask ourselves. Do you speak life into the lives of those in your circle? To nourish them, to encourage them, to build them up, to love them. Do you want good for them? When you care for somebody, you want good for them. Do you build up those that God has entrusted in your circle? You should. You should do that. You should be their cheerleader. You should encourage them. They should be your cheerleader. They should encourage you. That's what love is. It involves care, that you care for them. When you care for somebody, you cheer them on. You see, in foster care, as I mentioned earlier, just like CPS entrusts the foster parents to care for, to nourish, and to help restore children, so God has entrusted you to care for and to nourish and to help restore those people that are in your circle. So feed them. Feed them. Feed them. Look, if you've, if you've got older kids and you've been through the terrible twos and you know how to handle them, invite younger families over to your house. Don't run from their dysfunction. Just walk into their dysfunction. If you've got young married couples and you see that they're struggling or they're struggling financially or they're struggling relationally or whatever, step into their mess and say, hey, I've been there. Here's what worked for me. I care enough to help you. Right? So oftentimes we say, hey, I'm over here and I'll help you if you need me. But, well, nobody's asking me to help, so I'm just not going to do anything. Look around. Love someone. Look, if I'm serving in the children's ministry and there's two kids fighting over in the corner, what do I say? Well, that's not my kid, so I really don't care. No, of course not. I go over there and say, hey, is this really necessary? Right? And so I step into the situation. If we really care for somebody, what are we going to do? We're going to step into the situation. You see, care is not based on how it is received. We say, oh, well, I'll help them, but nobody's asked me. Well, they may be offended if I give them advice. Really, is that what you tell your kids who are about to put their hand on a hot stove? I would tell them not to do that. It's going to hurt, but I really don't know how they'll receive it. Or how about this? Mom, Dad, I want gummy worms for dinner. Well, that's probably a bad idea, but I just, they might get upset if I tell them no. Is that good care? Of course not. I'm not going to take my child to the doctor because they may get a shot and they don't like needles, and so we're just never going to go to the doctor. That's, that's, That's crazy, right? Care is not based on how it is received. You know, when our kids were growing up, they didn't like taking baths. But guess what? They got a bath. That's what they needed, right? How about this? Sometimes my kids today, they're teenagers, they they don't like brushing their teeth. But guess what? I don't like big dental bills. And so they're going to brush their teeth, right? I say, hey, look, if you want to keep your teeth, you got to care for your teeth, right? And so I say, look, it's not how you're going to receive it, you know, Most of the time when you tell children to do something, they don't like it. That doesn't matter to me. Right? I'm the parent. God entrusts me to love you the way that he he intends for me to love you. And I know what's best for you because I'm your parent. You see, care is not based on how it's received. But it's also based on what is best 
for that person. Care is based on what is best for that person. Now here's the kicker right here. I want you to listen. We're almost done. Care is not based on what is best for that person. But guess what? I know what you're thinking. You say, I know what's best for them. Right? And you say, I, if, I, if they'll just listen to what I tell them, everything will be fine. That is wrong. That's dangerous. Hang on. I don't get to decide what's best for you. Jesus does. Jesus does. I've got a lot of opinions. I mean, they're like noses. Everybody's got them. Right? I've got a ton of opinions, and I am an expert on my opinion. And you're an expert on your opinion. But guess what? When I care for someone... I need to care for them based on what God wants for them, not based on what I want for them. I don't get to decide what's best for you. I didn't create you. God created you. I just get to be a part of your life. You see, the Peter that we see in the book of Acts following this encounter is completely different than the Peter that we saw before the uh, crucifixion of Jesus. And so what happened, what this tells us, is that the nourishment that Jesus gave Peter propelled him to be who he was intended to be. So what about the people that are in your circle? The care that God has intended for you to give to them. The love that may cost you, right? It may cost you heartache. It may cost you pain. It may cost you sleep. It may cost you time. Guess what? God intends for you to do that. Right? Because why? Because it's going to propel them to be who God wants them to be. And so as we get here towards the end, we think about this story. You know, this story isn't just about Peter's response to Jesus as much as it is Jesus' response to Peter. I want you to think about the other side real quick. Think about the times that people have turned their back on you. The times that people have betrayed you. The times that people, you know, I said at the beginning that, you know, people in the church have said hurtful words. The time that those things have happened. Think about those times. How do we respond to those moments? You see, Jesus' focus was not on Peter's failure, but Jesus' focus was on the love of the Father. That he sacrificially, he's telling Peter, you should sacrificially love. Peter, you should care for those that are around you. You should nourish them. And it wasn't based on Peter's failures. It was based on the Father's love. And so as we look to our peers, okay, as we see those people that are in our community, in our circle, and we see those people that are in our fellowship, and we see those people, people that are in our sphere of influence. Maybe they're not believers, but we see those people in our sphere of influence, okay? We see those people. We can't care for them, and we can't love them based on their failures from the past. We have to focus on the love of the Father for them, right? That's hard. That's hard. But if we continue to count wrong against each other, then we're never going to love each other the way God calls us to love, and we're never going to care for each other the way God calls us to care for each other. And so Jesus looked past Peter's failures to the love of his Father. You see, the Father's love, where is it? 
It is always on His people. The love of the Father is always on His people. And Jesus loved Peter in spite of his failures. Jesus cared for Peter in the depths of his sinfulness. And God restored Peter through love. And that is exactly what God intends for us to do. That we would be a part of redemptive stories of how God is restoring people. And the way that He's doing it is one at a time through relationship. And remember, you can't love without relationship. So I hope this has been challenging for you tonight as we look at love. This is the way that we experience life the way God intends for us to experience, and the way that we experience love. It's not easy. And you can't do it, remember, without the supernatural infusion of the Spirit of God. If you try on your own power, you will fail. And so my prayer for you and my prayer for us is that we would love each other more deeply, that we would care for each other, that we would give of ourselves the way that Jesus gave for us. Not that we would earn anything from doing that, but that we love because Jesus first loved us. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that the end of Peter's story was not his denial, but God, that you restored him and that you restored him through relationship. God, would you help us to love better? God, would you help us to see the opportunities that you put before us and that we would step into those moments, that we would care for those that you've entrusted to us, that we would love them sacrificially, not based on the things that we gain or the things that we prefer, but God, that we would love them based on you. God, that is the common bond that we have. We're not from the same place. We don't do the same things. We don't like the same things but we're loved by the same God. So, Lord, help us to love each other the way that you love us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great night.